Good morning, friends. Hey, wow, that sounded great. So good to see you uh, and to hear you. Uh, I looked this morning, the last time I stood on this stage with people in this audience was February 23rd. And uh, so I'm really excited to be with you today. I had to think about my clothing because I had to think I have to wear pants and not shorts or pajama pants today because I'm going to be up in front of people. So anyway, it's really good to see you. So I'm going to ask you a question. If I were to ask you, what is the most vulnerable conversation you've ever had with God? What might you say? I mean, really vulnerable. I mean, pour your heart and your soul kind of vulnerable out. Maybe you were angry. Maybe you were scared. Maybe you were heartbroken. In 2003, I had a a really vulnerable conversation with God. It was a a really hard year. That year, my wife had a miscarriage. Her job was falling apart. People around her were getting fired left and right. We had moved to a new city for new job opportunities. But the house that we had lived in prior, we had it on the market and it didn't sell. So we made double payments for months and we ran out of money. And then to top it all off, three weeks before Christmas, I was let go from my job. I had an 18-month-old son and a wife and a home that hadn't sold. And it definitely felt like one of those all-is-lost moments. So we decided to move back to the town that we had come from and um, move back into that home. But I didn't have a job. She didn't have a job lined up. So I drove three hours alone to this house to go try to look for a job. And I walked in, and there was no furniture. There was nothing. And I just laid on the floor. And I'll always remember there was a copy of a book that says, where's God when it hurts? That's the only thing that I had with me. And I pulled out the classifieds, which if you don't know what that is, you're younger than I am. But there used to be these things called newspapers. And inside newspapers, there'd be ads for different jobs. And so I looked through there, and I didn't see anything that looked good. And so I sobbed, and I, I cried, and I pled with God, and I vented to God. Like, Lord, I've been faithful to you. I've served you in ministry why aren't you helping me out right now? Can you relate? You know, maybe you felt that way. You know, maybe even the last few months with COVID, what's happening in the world around us right now has led to some honest, painful conversations with God. Now, imagine if your honest, angst-filled conversation with God were written down and recorded for millions and millions of people to read. How does that sound? Well, we're in week five of a series called under the radar. And in the last five weeks, we've been looking at some characters in the scriptures who are lesser known characters. These aren't the hall of famers. These are just people that are a little bit obscure. Maybe you've glossed over them if you know who they are at all. But what we're doing is we're learning about these people. We're learning from them and about God and about us. And so today, we're going to look at a character that had one of those kinds of conversations with God. And it was written down for us so that we can learn about approaching God when everything feels overwhelming or unjust. And so turn with me, if you would, if you have your Bibles, your Bible app to the book of Habakkuk. Now, who is Habakkuk? We actually don't know very much about Habakkuk, but I want you to say the name with me. Would you say it? Habakkuk. All right. You guys did a great job. Listen, by the way, if right now you are with child or if you have a family member with child looking for baby names, you're welcome. Right there. I gave that to you. Look no farther. Habakkuk. All right. We know Habakkuk was a prophet in the 7th century B.C. Let me fix this. It's driving me nuts. There we go. 
He was a contemporary of the prophet Jeremiah. Maybe you've heard of him. He lived in the southern kingdom of Judah, and he's considered one of the minor prophets. But you might not realize this. There's a lot of evidence that he may have been a Levite priest in addition to being a prophet. It seems that he was musical. In chapter 3, we see a couple of hints of that. But he was the last of the prophets before the Babylonian captivity. And so what I want to do today is I want to look at some passages together from the book of Habakkuk to learn about him and to see what we can learn from Habakkuk about God and about how to live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. And so uh, let's get into it. And we'll discover three distinct movements in Habakkuk's story. And, and I think we can all relate to those and learn from. So let's start with his uh, first complaint to the Lord. He says, how long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Does that sound familiar? Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Pretty heavy. See, Habakkuk finds himself in a season where the world around him is filled with violence, he says, and injustice and wrongdoing and destruction and strife and conflict. And you know, that's not so far removed from the world that we live in today, is it? Imagine seeing all of that and then asking God, where are you in the midst of all of this? And, you know, I would just want to say that's a very normal question to ask, isn't it? It's, it's a very human thing to ask when you see calamity and everything going crazy around us. It's quite human. I was on Facebook the other day, and, and I saw someone post about something about COVID and this, this season that we're in. And I saw a ton of people who were agnostics or atheists saying, where is your God now? And you know what? It's a good question. It's a really good question. And I love that we can see Habakkuk being brutally honest with God at the beginning of this little book. Lord, things are hard right now. Where are you, he asks. And, and most scholars believe that he was also talking about the religious leaders of the day, that the, the law was impotent, that they weren't leading from the law, that they were leading from a place of power but not with love. And they were actually contributing to the problem, and they were oppressing people and living out of injustice and even causing injustice and abandoning the heart of a loving God. He goes so far as to say the law is paralyzed. So basically, justice is thwarted, and evil leaders seem to have the rule of the day, even leaders who claim to follow God. And that sounds pretty overwhelming to me. How about you? See, those few verses are raw and honest and vulnerable, but they're also modeling something that I, I think we could stand to learn from. I think it's a, a word that we've lost. The word is lament. Would you just say that with me? Lament. Lament. I, you know, I was really frustrated about something this past week, and instead of talking about it with God, I just was frustrated. I talked to a couple of friends of mine. I was having some grief and some confusion, and, and my anxiety started to creep up. In fact, I felt like I had low-grade anxiety all week, and so I complained, and I moaned, and I got stuck in my head, and I talked to a couple of my friends and did the old woe is me thing. I'm an expert at that. How about you? Yeah. Um, great at the woe is me. And this lasted most of the week, but, but toward the end of the week, I realized that the person I most needed to talk to about this, the person that I, I most needed to be vulnerable with and honest with was Jesus. And I had neglected to talk to him about it. 
So we had it out, man. I started talking to Jesus. He was raw and he was honest. I, I bore my soul. I just poured it out. And, and ironically enough, and I would say this is the spirit of God, I started thinking about this book of Habakkuk, knowing that I was going to be teaching through this book this weekend. And, and I realized that there was this healthy pattern of lament. And guess what? Jesus met me in it. You know, I realized I had lost perspective and had failed to embrace lament as a formative practice in my life. How about you? See, sometimes when things are hard, we, we feel like it's somehow unspiritual to voice our struggles, to complain, to be frustrated, to voice our anger or maybe our fear. But listen, lament is healthy. It gets it all out there and, and allows a time of intentionally acknowledging what is hard. And Habakkuk models this practice for us of lament. And he named specifically what was happening. He said to the Lord, like, I've been saying violence, and I've been pointing out all these things and injustice, and where are you? And you know, for me, the shift in my life this past week happened when I got really specific about what was bothering me. And I was able to do something then about what I was feeling. See, I had anxiety and fear, and it was ambiguous, and it was just soupy mess. But when I actually um, moved beyond, well, I don't like the way that I feel, and I named what I was feeling honestly before the Lord, something powerful happened. I got clarity about what was really bothering me, and I was able to, to face it. See, lament is essentially naming a specific complaint and sitting in it. And I want you to think about this, naming it allows you to see it and therefore submit it. Naming it specifically the thing that's happening allows you to really see it. Listen, we've, you know, this has been over five months since I stood on this stage with a group of people. We've been in our homes, we've been doing online, our world has been turned upside down. And most people are feeling something strongly about this season. Are you? It's been hard. But sometimes we just feel anxiety, we just feel unrest, and like, I don't even know what it is. But pausing and going before the Lord and naming it allows us to see it. And if I can see it, if I can name it and say, COVID's been hard and I'm sick of being stuck in my house, then I can submit it to the Lord. That's a part of lament. So I'll say it again, naming it allows you to see it and therefore submit it. You know, the powerful thing about lament is it allows you to acknowledge what's hard and to intentionally sit with it. But, but lament isn't just complaining. It's not just the hard stuff. It also always has an eye toward renewal and restoration and God's goodness moving and doing something good. Listen to the words of Josh Larson. He says, Christian lament is not simply complaint. Yes, it stares clear-eyed at awfulness and even wonders if God has gone. Yet at its fullest, biblical lament expresses sorrow over losing a world that was once good, alongside a belief that can be made good again. Listen, lament isn't giving up. It's not giving up. It's giving over. When we lift up our sorrow and our pain, we turn it over to the only one who can meet it. And who's that? Our God. See, lament isn't giving up. It's what? It's giving over. It's submitting that thing to the Lord, and that's so good. Remember, naming it allows you to see it. And if you see it, you can submit it. So lament is sitting in that heavy space with an eye toward the fact that Jesus is renewing things all the time. And I think most of us could stand to embrace lament in certain seasons of our lives. 
The, the prophet that I was telling you about, Jeremiah, we see in this book of Lamentations um, talking about what it's like to sit in this place. And I love the, the message paraphrase of this. It says, look at the nations. Oh, it's not in there. Did I not put it in the slide? Nope. I'll just... It says, when life is heavy and hard to take, go off by yourself. Enter the silence. Bow in prayer. Don't ask questions. Wait for hope to appear. Don't run from trouble. Take it full face. The worst is never the worst. Why? Because the master won't ever walk out and fail to return. If he works severely, he also works tenderly. His stockpiles of loyal love are immense. He takes no pleasure in making life hard and throwing roadblocks in the way. So we can lament. We can pour out that hard thing knowing that there's a very good God who loves us very much and is with us in the midst of it all. So no matter where you're at, no matter today, maybe what you've wrestled with in this past season, you can rest assured that God is with you and he's in it and he's working in it and that hope is coming. So the first thing we see from Habakkuk is modeling lament. He pours out his soul before God and essentially he says to the Lord, will you intervene? And so then God responds and it may not be in the way that, <laughs> that Habakkuk hoped that he would. Let's look at verse five, chapter one, verse five. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I'm going to do something in your day that you would not believe, even if you were told. When you first read that, that sounds great, doesn't it? Like you're praying, Lord, I need you to show up. You got to do something about all this injustice, make the world great again, all this kind of stuff. And the Lord goes, hey, I'm getting ready to do something that you would not believe. I'm going to blow your mind. It sounds exciting. If I were Habakkuk and I were listening to that, I would think, oh, this is great. He's going to intervene. He's going to make it all better, right? Well, their minds absolutely were blown, but probably not in the way that they thought. Listen to what he says. I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Uh-oh. Wait, what? You're going to intervene by sending in the Babylonians? They are horrible awful people. Listen to some of the rest of God's descriptions of the Babylonians. He said, ruthless and impetuous people. He says, seize dwellings that are not their own. They were feared and dreaded. They promote their own honor. They fly like an eagle swooping to devour. They come intent on violence. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. And listen, their own strength is their God. It'd be like us saying to the Lord, Lord, you've got to deliver us from pain and from struggle. And God says, that's great. I'm sending ISIS in to take care of it. Think about that. Wouldn't be too excited, would we? I don't think so. See, God says, I'm going to exercise my judgment. I am actually going to take care of this. But the, these careless people of Judah, the, the wickedness in this generation, I'm actually going to send the Babylonians in to exercise my judgment. And we know that if we skip ahead just a little bit in the story, that they're going to be in exile in Babylon for 70 years, not 70 days, not seven weeks, not seven days, 70 years and a lifetime in captivity. So as you could imagine, Habakkuk's not real excited to hear this. And I have to admit that the way God answers sometimes, I don't always get excited about either. And when God responds to our lament, sometimes it's not always fairy dust and unicorns. I remember back in 2003, I was laying on that floor. I was praying and trying to figure out what to do. And, and God actually provided a, a job for me. It was a really low paying job. 
It wasn't at all uh, something that I wanted to do at the time. And I remember feeling like, well, it was beneath me, Lord. I mean, I deserve something better, right? We get entitled sometimes, don't we? We think we need certain things. And so I, I let the Lord know that, that he should have given me something better. So Habakkuk, he listens to God's response, and he does something that is very, very natural. He did what most of us would do. He went from lament to protest. Lament to protest. And here's what he says to the Lord. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You've made people like the fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls up all of them with the hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and is glad. This sounds exciting, doesn't it? Positive and happy? No. Verse 16, therefore he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet, for by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? Essentially, Habakkuk lodges this protest. He says, God, you are good and you are eternal and you have power over all things. Yet you're sending Babylon, this corrupt, treacherous people to do your work. How could you even do that? You're pure and holy. You're good. How could you possibly look upon evil? You've made people weak. You've made them like fish in the sea. And the Babylonians have come to scoop them up by bad leaders. That's beneath you, Lord. Why would you do that? And I love that Habakkuk gets it all out. I'd feel the same way. You know, sometimes we want God's response to our troubles to be nice and easy, but it's not always that way, is it? Sometimes cancer needs aggressive treatment. And, and sometimes instant healings, even though we pray for them, don't happen. And sometimes all of the treatment fails and people die. Sometimes we don't get the job that we want. Sometimes we don't get the relationship that we want. Sometimes it seems like the bad guy is winning. Sometimes it's just hard, isn't it? My wife and I went to Sonic a couple of weeks ago. And There are two entrances you can pull in. I pulled in one to go through the drive-thru. No cars in the drive-thru. I pull in, and I drive a very tiny little electric car. And this man in a four-wheel drive, like Ford F-350, pulls right up behind me, and he rolls his window down, and he releases a slew of encouraging words to me. Um, And apparently, he felt that I cut him off. And so he started talking to his friend on the phone. They were speakerphone or whatever. And he was saying all these nasty things. And so I kind of rolled up my window after I made my order and kept going. And it was really long waiting to get to the window. So finally I rolled my window down because I could tell he was still talking. And I heard him still talking. And he goes, yeah, if I had pliers, I could go tear his car to shreds. I'm like, bro, like it's Sonic. Okay, I didn't murder your child. I just got in the line. There was nobody there. The guy was really, really worked up. People get really worked up sometimes. Things are hard. And everybody has a different tolerance for different things. Apparently for him, he couldn't tolerate me being in front of him at Sonic. But sometimes we really do go through hard things and it's not easy. 
But I want you to see something really special here. Habakkuk, he lodges this protest at God's plan, but look how he ends his response to God. He says, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. See, he's sort of posturing himself going, okay, God, your turn. Like, I'm listening. And there's some humility in this, his confidence. He's willing to wrestle, to rumble with God, but also to submit to God. And here's here's what I want you to see, that protesting to God in a healthy way ends with patient, expectant waiting for God's good provision. See, it's okay to protest say, God, I don't like this. This is hard. I want something different. You can absolutely do that, but it, but it ends. You see, scripturally, complaint, complaint, complaint. The Psalms are filled with this. Every, my enemies circle me. My enemies surround me. Everyone wants to kill me. But what does the psalmist constantly say? But nevertheless, Lord, praising the Lord with expectation that God is good and that his provision is good. See, see Habakkuk threw out his objection but he stands at his watch and he positions himself to hear from God and he eagerly awaits hearing from God and he's intent on listening. And so he laments and he protests and then God gives him this lengthy response and I'm not going to read it because it's really long, but basically God tells Habakkuk, I'm going to, I have this vision I'm going to give you of the future. I want you to write it down. I want you to send it out on the messenger so that others can hear. And in essence, God says, I see their wickedness. I see the people's wickedness. And he gives them this vision. And, and even though it feels like God isn't intervening, he's saying, I'm definitely going to. And this wickedness isn't unnoticed. It's not going to go unpunished. And in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, a, a scripture that you might r- recall from the New Testament, the Lord said that the righteous shall live by faith. This is repeated throughout the New Testament three or four times. But essentially, he's saying that even in the hardest times, the righteous live their lives with the faith that God is in control and that he will make all of injustices and violence and wickedness right in his due time. See, God gave Habakkuk this vision of his coming judgment on Babylon. And even though it was decades away, God was already at work in the midst of the hard, dark season. See, he'd used Babylon to bring judgment to the Israelites, but ultimately the Babylonians would meet their just fate. God says all of that to Habakkuk. And after complaining, lamenting, after protesting, we see finally that Habakkuk responds with what? With praise. Look at what he says. Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise, rays flashed from his hand, where his power was hidden. Plague went before him, pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed, but he marches on forever. And then I'm going to skip down to verse 13. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear, you pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. 
Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there's no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights for the director of music on my stringed instruments. He throws out several statements about God's power. Makes it sound big, doesn't it? God is very, very powerful. God can do all of these sort of things. And then essentially he says that God can come to rescue. But he also says, Lord, I will praise you even if there's nothing in the fields. Even if there's no harvest crop, even if the vineyards are bare, there's no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. See, the, the truth is this. Our natural response to God's power and provision is what? Praise. Our natural response to God's provision and his power is praise. See, we, we might not like our circumstances. We might lament and God might respond and we might even protest with how God responds. But when God reveals his power and his provision, our natural response is to praise. So back to that job I took in 2003. At the time, I protested it. But God was so faithful in that season. And I can honestly say I could not do what I do today had I not had that job for two and a half years. It's turned out to be a tremendous blessing. And if we're honest, when things are tough, we can do the, the part of lament, but not trust God in hope. But if we were to take out a pad and something to write with or in your notes app on your phone, and if you were to start writing down all of the times that God's been faithful in your life, just think about that. God, you were faithful here. God, you were faithful there. God, you showed up in this moment. God, you showed up in that moment. We'd see that God's past provision proves his future provision. And we'd learn to trust. And his praise would be on our lips. So there we go. We see in Habakkuk three things. We see lament. Him honestly pouring out his heart at the injustice in the world around him, at the violence, the heartbreak, at the evil that seems to be winning. And then we see him protest when God says, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send the bad guy in to mete out my judgment. And then God responds to him. And finally, we see praise. So what about you? For some, either watching online or watching later or in this room right now, you need to move toward naming what hurts. You need to name it. You need to say specifically that thing or those things that have wounded you, and you need to add in trust in the middle of your lament. And if your lament's just getting on Facebook and ripping people, that's not healthy lament. Lament, Because lament is verbalizing to the Lord, here's what hurts, but also paired with trust that God will take care of us, that God is our ultimate provision. For others, maybe you're protesting what God is doing in your life, how he's choosing to move your story forward right now. Maybe you don't like the way that God is using your circumstances. And maybe right now you need to move toward patient, expectant waiting for God to resolve this season in your life. And maybe for others, you need to respond to God's past provision and see it in his future provision and respond to his provision and his power with praise. 
maybe in the midst of this hard season, you need to just pour out your heart to Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, the one who has never abandoned you, and respond to his power. Jesus, you are with me. Name it. Protest if you need to. But submit it. You know, lament and praise and protest, they're all normal, healthy parts of the Christian experience. And, and my prayer is that for all of us, that we would learn from Habakkuk and learn to engage these things well. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the author of life. Lord, the righteous live by faith and Lord, we know that salvation comes in faith alone, in you. But Lord, we also understand that it's not just a, a decision to trust you once for an eternal destination, but Lord, it's a, um, a process of just trusting you in our life and having faith, even when it seems like the clouds are dark and when everything's swirling around us. Lord, invite us into peace with you. Invite us into trusting you completely. Lord, you are good. Your mercy endures forever. And I ask all these things in the strong and the powerful name of Jesus. And together this church said, Amen. Amen. We're going to sing one more song and move into a time of communion. And when you came in the door today, you should have got your little pack. And I want you to take the things that I said, lament, protest, praise. Bring to mind anything that you need to lament, anything that you need to protest, anything you need to praise. And I want you to set that thing in the hands of Jesus. Like submit it. Name it so you could see it and then submit it. And as you do that, I want you to end that thought with the remembrance of Jesus hanging on the cross for you and for me. And whenever you're ready, take the elements on your own and we'll continue to sing. When peace like a river attended my way When sorrows like sea billows roll My sin, 
declare that <laughs> and sometimes we declare that just trusting that your spirit in us can say it more truly than we think we can actually say Lord we believe help our unbelief that you are in control that um, even though like we heard today even though the circumstances sometimes cause lament or whatever it may be we surrender to you knowing that you are at work. Even when we don't see, you are at work. We love you, Jesus. Amen and amen. Hey, before we run off here, I just have a few announcements for us, for those who are online, for those of us who are here live. Um, first of all, sorry, I'm all crooked here. Uh, first of all, um, you may notice there's, there's no bulletins today. Uh, but that's okay. I, it's just the weird world that we're in. And everything you need to find out can be found out in our app. So if you want to download that app, that's the most up-to-date place for everything. You can also find it on our website, or you can subscribe to our e-newsletter. E so I'd encourage you to do that. So that's the form of bulletin. If you're thinking, I might be missing something, don't worry. Those places are up-to-date and everything you need to know there. Um, 
live services. We're gonna, we're gonna do this again next week. How's that sound? So uh, in light of that, we, because we need to be able to manage the flow of everything, we still need you to register in advance. So registration will be open right after the service. I encourage you to jump in there. Um, as, we, as we see those registration comes in, it allows us to adjust and decide whether we need more services and all of those sorts of things. So please do register. It also helps us prepare and make sure we have the space for you and all of that. Um, yes, one more thing. Uh, if you didn't know yet, uh, big news, we have a new lead pastor. So uh, Alex, Alex and Laura and their family, they'll be out here um, in uh, September. But this week, we get it's really difficult to sort of get to know your new pastor. And so we're going to have a live webinar Tuesday night, 6.30 this week. So I encourage you, check out our, our YouTube channel. And it'll be all live there. He's actually going to be in town um, and sitting next to Larry. And we'll be able to stream him. He's um, hunting. So don't... Don't bombard him or hunt him down or wait in the parking lot too much for him because he needs to be finding a house so that he can move here and stay here. So anyway, but that webinar, we're gonna, it will be live uh, 6.30 Tuesday night. Um, for, for those who are wondering, uh, am I, do I have an opportunity to give today? Uh, all the online platforms are still active. And for those of you who are streaming online, uh, you can do it there. But there's also boxes on the way out if you'd like to, to give that way. We are so grateful for the way you've been generous during the season. Let me tell you, church, um, so many churches are struggling right, right now in so many ways. And you have been abundantly generous to allow us to continue to advance the kingdom and the gospel. Um, there, there still will be Zoom rooms today. And the last thing is, um, in this crazy world of digital church stuff, um, it really does help us to, to like and comment on YouTube channel. Um, you may not know this, but we have somewhere between 600 and 1,000 people watching weekend services all throughout COVID. Um, Actually, the week we announced Alex and Easter, we had well over 2,000 people watching services. And so every time you like and comment, it actually tells these digital algorithms to bump us up, and it allows us to get the gospel out there further. So I encourage you to do that, like, comment, share, and that sort of thing. I think that's it for business stuff, and um, I'm just going to, we're going to go, we're going to shut off live here, and then as you leave, uh, oh, sorry, one more thing. <laughs> We encourage you to hang out and chat with each other, but if you would just make your way out of this space and do that in the parking lot so you can actually talk and stuff and feel a little bit more free, um, try and honor each other and respect each other's comfort levels and feel that out because um, we want to keep doing this longer term. So we love you, South. Have a wonderful Sunday. Bye.